You are listening to The Current Podcast, the official podcast of UC San Diego's IT Services Department. I'm your host, Miguel Rodriguez. Today is Wednesday, March 16th, and welcome, friends, one and all, to COVID Season 3. When new seasons drop, do you find yourself binging just to refresh your memory on what happened? I think we're all pretty well caught up, but it does bring a wry smile to my face to recall some of the more ridiculous elements from Season 1, like toilet paper shortages and sanitizing groceries and Amazon packages. I do credit the producers for jumping right in with a full season. Don't you hate it when they break the new season up into two parts? And anyway, if you're like me, then you can get quite annoyed when a TV show overstays his welcome with too many seasons, and frankly, I think this particular show has run its course, don't you think? Time to cancel. We're also marking the two-year anniversary of this, the one, the only, current podcast which we kicked off March 18th, 2020. By coincidence, we're only a few weeks away from episode number 200, which will be chock full of self-reflection and, of course, self-congratulation. And finally, happy St. Patrick's Day, which commemorates the legend of St. Patrick driving snakes out of Ireland, which may or may not be true, but who cares? Always print the legend. Anyway, if you're going to a traditional Irish pub to celebrate, I encourage you to order the most popular menu item, which, in my experience, tends to be nachos. Although, if your name is Miguel, it is clearly going to be bangers and mash. Anyway, on today's interview, our own Ronnie Zinan caught up with the cybersecurity champion, Will Styler. Take it away, Ronis. Well, hello, ITS. This is Ronis Zenon coming in with another guest podcast. And today I have Professor Will Styler with us. Will is one of the campus cyber champions. So we'll be finding out some information from him about his interest in being a cyber champion, how cybersecurity concerns are experienced or observed in his teaching. So let's get to it. Hi, Will. Hi there. Great to have you with me. So please introduce yourself to our ITS folks. Sure. Um, I'm Will Styler. I am a, uh, an assistant teaching professor in the linguistics department uh, here at UCSD. Um, my areas of interest are speech, um, speech perception. How do we ever understand anything anyone says ever, uh, as well as computational linguistics. Um, and I am also sort of related and unrelated, a gigantic nerd. So, you know, I run Linux a lot of the time. In fact, I think people first sent me to Renny's being a cyber champion because I was complaining about the Cisco VPN app and its support for, I think it was for Linux and, you know, requiring third-party apps. So I'm going to be a problem for you. Chances are, if you're an ITS at some point in your life. Uh, so I apologize in advance, but that's where I am. I have a lot of cybersecurity interests independently of this work that I do, but the work I do often intersects with, well, computation and uh, especially the new era of cybersecurity threats and social engineering and automated attacks and things like that. Wonderful. So how have things been going for you in the midst of COVID as an instructor? So the funny thing, of course, there's been a lot of adaptation to 
a world in which we have to connect with our students in a very different way. And I've actually been one of the faculty tech liaisons, or I forget exactly what we're called, on campus for uh, both linguistics and human developmental sciences throughout the process here. And um, a big part of it, actually, you know, putting aside all of the teaching challenges involved with going online, which are pretty familiar with people at this point, and the basic tech challenges too. One of the biggest things is it's actually revealed, I think, to a lot of especially faculty who aren't really computer savvy, or at least uh, haven't been at the level needed here, it's revealed a lot of cybersecurity questions for them, right? For the first time, faculty are needing to understand what a VPN is and how it works. You know, one of the very common questions I get from faculty, uh, and of course, no disrespect intended, but you get questions that are very cybersecurity related, but they're not aware of that. Like for instance, maybe a faculty member is teaching a language course and wants to keep their final exam video that students have to watch in order to be able to respond and translate. They want to keep it secret. They want to make it so that students cannot possibly record it, uh, or they want to put up images on their Canvas site, but students not be able to download them because they contain test questions and things like that. And so a lot of the consulting or even more simple things like, you know, how can I make my class available to students? Because they're talking about, for instance, sensitive social questions, and they don't want students' thoughts and feelings and interactions that are very off the cuff and meant to be in a safe space. They don't want those spread more widely. And so they'll ask questions that are very difficult. Like, you know, how can I make this video available to students, but not have them able to download it or to copy it? Or how can I send them this file, but make sure that they can't copy and paste it to somebody else? Or, you know, even academic integrity questions. How can I make sure that students aren't talking amongst themselves during a, an online final or something like that? And unfortunately, I end up giving them very unsatisfying answers because generally there's not a good way. If it's on a computer, you don't control, you don't control it. And efforts to control it are really ugly. So, it's actually been a lot of cybersecurity discussion, even if never in that guise directly, right. which has been interesting. There's so many layers, so many layers in there. Yeah. And I always feel vaguely badly too. Things that I think a lot of techie people consider to be sort of second nature, like, you know, developer tools in a browser that feel like hacking to somebody who has no idea what's, you know, how these tools work. But, you know, it's just like, yeah, here's your video. Did you think that was secret? And I try to be nicer about that. But, you know, it's just very often there's this gap even for academic integrity issues between tech savvy students who are able to subvert these what feel like very basic security measures and student and even honest tech savvy students. And it's just kind of sets up this really ugly situation where, you know, students are differentially able to cheat and where I can't offer any guarantees to people about some of these important issues. And that's one of the biggest issues that we've faced as instructors is how do we do these things that we used to consider sort of constrained and what happens in this this room stays in this room, both for academic integrity reasons and for we want to have a safe discussion here where you're welcome to speak your mind and learn from it. And both of those things are really hard in the online era. And that's not a solvable problem. So it makes me wonder how there's been engagement with the ETS section of our department and if there are opportunities for greater or increased collaboration in that space to meet faculty needs. Is ETS EdTech? Are those the same people? Yes. 
Okay, yeah. cool. They have been great, right? I have nothing but good things to say about the ITP. And I'm not just saying that because I'm talking to you all, but as a faculty tech advisor, I have been absolutely thrilled with the IT folks on campus here. This has been like, I cannot even imagine what you all have been going through in this process. It's been hard enough just using the tools, let alone bootstrapping them in emergency basis. So they've been great. Um, and, you know, I want to give a special shout out, by the way, to Tom Guptil Russo, who's SSCF, who has just made my life as a social scientist and tech advisor so much better. Um, yes. He is one of my favorite colleagues. Uh, SSCF got him from us. <laughs> like, oh. yeah. I'm sorry. Um, but I'm glad we, I'm glad they did. But um, EdTech has been great in a lot of ways. But I think fundamentally, some of the things I'm talking about are limitations of, well, frankly, the possibilities of an online course. Yeah. Right. Um, unless students have laptops that the university controls, a lot of these things are not possible. Yeah. Right. Um, and so I, I think EdTech has responded in the ways that they can. And I think that's good. But for the most part, many of these issues aren't tractable, period. Um, and these are issues that have been faced over and over again. I mean, effectively, you know, <laughs> instructors are wanting to air gap their classes and that's not possible in a remote environment. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I, I feel for them, but this is an issue that's very old to the three-letter agencies, and they haven't solved yet either, to the best of my knowledge. Um, They're still fighting it, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I don't think, uh, unfortunately, we've got four letters and we don't have a shot. Uh, so... Yeah, that's been tough. Um, one thing that has rolled out that actually bothers me a lot, and this is, I'm going to admit there's a rant here, but um, online proctoring services have kind of sprung up opportunistically mm -hmm. in this. Um, and this can look like ProctorU, this can look like the lockdown browser, which sounds really good um, and is, shall we say, defeasible. But all of these tools have popped up as sort of a crutch that instructors can use to continue to do things business as usual, um, where we're just sort of pretending that if we make these students install these programs as root on their machines, which by the way is a massive security issue. I was a little bit disappointed that these weren't banned rapidly out of the gate um, as a result, but you know, all of it is theater, right? Um, all of these things are defeasible. Many of them have tools. Oh, is it running in a VM? Well, only if you're thinking, you know, it checks for virtual box tools. Like, dude, there are other VMs. And so again, it's just like the capacity to cheat is only bounded by your technical ability. And, you know, each one of these has pretty easy bypasses available online where it's just like, you know, why are you doing this? And unfortunately, my bigger, you know, I, I have major cybersecurity beef with this because, dude, don't make people put something as root on machines. Even Cisco's VPN app, just saying, sorry. IT people, come on. But no, the um, these are also a major equity issue. And that's not something that's discussed because very often students who are, for instance, really already struggling with the online transition may be running Chromebooks or they may be running machines that are many, many years old, right? They may be on an old desktop and some of these extensions don't work or perhaps all of the resources required to stream a live webcam and run their AI assistant that can't detect students of certain skin colors. Um, and all of that's a thing, by the way. But all of these things may put a student over the edge in, in not being able to complete a test. And often because these are very opaque and closed source tools, it's not possible for the instructor to verify that the issue here was technical rather than the student cheating. And so we end up with a lot of students who are either falsely accused 
because these systems failed or who are just unable to complete the exam. Um, and that's purely because the instructor wanted to use these pieces of security theater software to try and pretend that online exams are a thing. That's kind of been my tech throughout all this is just like online exams with closed books and no collaboration do not exist, period. It's not a thing. Deal with it. And I think a lot of people have made a lot of money by trying to convince instructors otherwise. And so I want to see these things wiped from, well, frankly, earth, but certainly from our campus. That's a lot. I have an ax to grind. Sorry about that. <laughs> Be careful for metal filings. So you've touched on challenges for both instructors and for students in the midst of the COVID learning experience. Are you hopeful for our return to campus and how that might go? It's the only hope I have. You know, I was hopeful and fall went fine by and large. From my perspective as an instructor, in fall I was in person and things went fine. Here. I don't have to tell you all that there are Wi-Fi issues. Hopefully that gets addressed. And I know there are lots of technical, not, not throwing stones, but, um, you know, that remains a bit of a trouble. But, you know, for the most part, I'm, I am hopeful. And I think there's right now a, really a lot of awkwardness among students because students are very split, right? Even this quarter where we had the opportunity to transition back, most students either wanted to stay remote or didn't care either way. I only had a few students who had a strong preference for in-person. And I think part of that was in you know, fear due to the ongoing COVID pandemic. But I think part of that too was things like housing insecurity and not wanting to, I had a couple of students come and say, look, if you move to a fully in-person experience, I'm going to have to get a lease for one class. And it's just like, that's rough. And so you know, that's part of the reason why I've made the rest of my quarter um, such that students can do it online if they please. It's been extra work, but at the same time, that's the equitable thing to do. But I think being back in a person or in person with that expectation should hopefully make that a little bit better and should allow some return towards normalcy, I hope. I hope so, too. I really do. I, I feel especially for faculty and students and in this whole experience. Yeah, it's been really tough. And it's also sort of forced us into a lot of extra tools in our lives, right? A lot of, lot more logins have come about as a result of this. And especially, you know, as instructors try new tools and, you know, I probably get four emails a week from these random startups trying to do educational technology. Uh, they've never talked to our ed tech office, um, but, you know, and I, I sort of worry that a lot of instructors are doing a lot of these, or maybe using these tools off the record. And, you know, even like Discord, right now is a really great tool for communicating with students synchronously. Yeah. And there's not something that's equivalent to that being offered through the campus itself, but it raises major security issues. You know, how much are students using this for things outside of their classes? And if Discord were to get hacked really badly, as we've seen with Twitch, as we've seen with others, like especially for students who may use the same login for both their personal life and their romantic life, as well as for their campus classes, that's gonna be awkward. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. So again, cybersecurity concerns everywhere. So then that wraps into the next question or topic of discussion, which is your participation in our Cyber Champions initiative on campus. And I know that we would like to hear your perspective on participating as a Cyber Champion what that means to you or for you and what you see 
as your role or any goals that you may have for your participation, either for assisting your students or assisting other faculty as you do? Yeah. I mean, there are a number of reasons it's sort of interesting to me as an idea. And I will admit I have maybe not been the best cyber champion always. I will occasionally get scheduled over meetings and things like that. Um, I, alas, uh, have too many things in my schedule. But um, that said, part of the reason it's interesting to me is because these cybersecurity regulations affect me in a very serious way, right? It affects my ability to do my work. And by the way, I don't mean that as they have been onerous. Um, you know, UCSD has got some policies, but for the most part, there's nothing I can point to um, that is just like, wow, that's a really dumb policy. And, you know, the, the, in the weird cases where something comes up, uh, it's, it's generally speaking not been problematic to contact somebody. But, you know, for me, knowing what's on the horizon and being able to give feedback where it's necessary and say, you know, these are, so for instance, okay, let me give you a, an example of this. I'm in linguistics. And um, one of the things that very often happens for people is field linguistics, where for instance, you might go out and work with speakers of an undocumented language. Let's say that you're working with a number of people in the, the middle of Uganda. And so what you have to do is you fly out to Uganda. And by the way, I've not done this. I'm not claiming this, but still um, some of my colleagues might. And so you end up in these situations where people are very much doing university work, but perhaps in even more far-flung regions than the university is used to. And so when we have things like this, uh, like for instance, two-factor, when Duo rolled out, it's a great system, by the way. I, I really like having it there, especially for eight-character business passwords. Just saying, people. Holy cow. Anyways, but uh, it's nice to have that, generally. I had to throw some shade. But um, the uh, one of the problems with that for some faculty was, well, I'm not always going to be able to get phone access, but I might still need to log into the university VPN. And so being able to talk with them and say, well, actually, here, we've got the little dongle guys that have the... And that can make that possible when it might not have been otherwise. And just being able to advocate, in, and not that I had to advocate for that, of course, but you know, being able to kind of keep in mind the precise needs of our department, which can very much range from hard social science to STEM to you know, flat out humanities. I think it's useful for me to be able to kind of keep a, an eye on what's coming down the pipe and say, oh, wait a second, that could be awkward for us. But there's also the other side of it is very much sort of easing people into transitions, both as a tech consultant during the COVID times, but also just as a cyber champion more generally, like, why on earth do we need these two factors? Or, you know, I, I'm not sure it's safe to put this app on my phone are, are things that I had heard. And you know what, to be fair, I get that. So I think that being able to address those things in a sort of with the ethos of I am primarily an academic, I'm primarily a linguist, but also being able to say to them, like, this is actually really important, both for the campus's general cybersecurity and for you potentially personally. And I think I have a much better position to say those things, um, knowing enough about cybersecurity to hurt myself, and also knowing my field and knowing my colleagues. So I think it's very, it, there have been a number of occasions where people have messaged me like, Will, what is going on here? Or even when we have major disclosure or um, breaches, that is, when we have zero days, <laughs> 4J luckily didn't hit our level as much. I'm sorry, I should have put a content warning there. But, you know, even when Windows, somebody else snaps Windows in half again, being able to say, look, guys, update your computer. This one's actually big. No, don't click the little thing. That can be very helpful. And I think it, it has a different ethos rather than being yet another email coming from 
you know, the campus IT people, when they always just say, update your computer. If I say, guys, this is bad, this is real bad, update your computer like now, uh, that can maybe, uh, it can provide a different flavor to the response. So I think those are roles for me. And I think that that is part of what we were looking for in giving people a way to have their sort of trusted insiders. I trust Will, I know Will, and it's easier for me potentially to accept the bad news that he's bringing <laughs> that, oh, I've got to update my OS. So, okay, clearly this is really serious. Yeah, exactly. Or it's even to the point where people will message me and say, you know, hey, I just got a request. So the, the, you all know they did the password change yes. thing on campus recently. And, you know, uh, I got questions from people like, is this a hack? And it's like, no, but good thinking. <laughs> yeah. um, like, I, I like this. Thank you for asking. But no, I've, I've heard this. And in fact, even from me, it's like, hmm, hold on a second. Have I heard about this already? Um, and in my case, yes, I had a number of times. But, you know, being on, I think it's, what is it, ITPS mailing list and things like that is very often like, okay, trouble's coming. Um, so that way, when I see that email, I can, you know, not only know it's not, you know, spear phishing me, but uh, I can message that accordingly to my colleagues when it is relevant. Um, the other thing that's worth noting is it also provides a slight change in signal to noise, right? Mm -hmm. There is a lot of messaging that goes out that is perhaps not as crucial for people or that gets lost in the 50 emails I get from the campus every day. Right. Um, and so I think, again, being able to, in, in moments of gravity, actually just say, no, this one's big, get on this, I think can, and even just like, yes, you're going to have to change your password. That's a real thing. That's an actual edict. I've heard it from people. Um, those things can be helpful, I think. LastPass can help you with that. <laughs> yes, it can. Um, the other thing I think that's relevant and that an area where I'd like to see cyber champions expanding a little bit more is towards the student population. Uh, you know, I have in my Ling 101, so I teach, you know, intro to linguistics style classes. I also teach other crazy things, language and computers, where we basically talk about how Siri works from the bottom to the top, uh, which is really fun. But, you know, in my 101, I, I start one of the lectures mid-quarter with back up your damn computers. And I use this as a regular joke in the class, like, you know, just random sentence I need as an example, have you backed up your computer lately? Because one of my graduate students, unfortunately, just had to spend $1,300 to recover data off an external hard drive after a, um, I gather this was a mess up by a uh, third party repair technician, uh, but it was really ugly. And it was data that she could not recover in any other meaningful way. And so, you know, these kinds of messages and, you know, a lot of students, oh, my laptop died. Well, okay. Did you lose everything? No, I had, you know, I put things on Google Drive, which uh, good, but, um, you know, still, I think a lot of messaging in terms of both just the boring backup cybersecurity stuff, and also on the privacy front, like, you know, can you really trust Google with some of your documents? Or maybe should you, you know, are, I think, questions that aren't really being asked. And I think that's an area where cyber champions, especially those in classrooms, can maybe make a difference. I know we have one grad and one undergrad, but again, back to that engagement angle or piece, you know, they, they've got so much going on that we don't hear from them. And from a system-wide perspective, I'm in a system-wide group for 
security awareness professionals for each of our campuses, but that's for faculty and staff as our audience. And there was also created a student group, but the I think the level of participants was different on the student side. So that group isn't, to my knowledge, functioning any longer. I, I think they may have been together for all of a year. And in our discussions in the system-wide group that I'm part of, the singular challenge or one of the challenges that we've seen across the board is that student engagement piece. Yeah. What do we do? How do we do to get out in front of them, to get to where they are, to give them information in a way that they'll even just want to accept it. So that certainly is a challenge that is felt all yeah, around. Absolutely. And, you know, I think a big part of the, uh, the messaging, and I get why sort of the campus has a little bit more trouble doing this from sort of a legal and interpersonal perspective is just like, if you screw these things up, it will mess you personally up. Right. right? The reason I am so crazy about backing up is because I lost dissertation data because of a misconfiguration with a crash plan and then a hard drive failure from a hot garage. I wow. thought I had two sources. I yeah. did not. And so it wasn't the end of the worlds, but it did absolutely cost me very important data. And because I didn't realize and there was hard drive corruption to start with, which meant that this went six months back in my backup chain. But anyways, you know, I got badly hit by this. And so now I'm a zealot. Now I'm a data squirrel um, encrypting and hiding it away in little crevices. But, you know, I think getting students the understanding that not only are these things sort of important at the level of, oh, it's good for the campus, but also with the sense of like, do you really want those pictures accessible on Google? Really? Okay, cool. Or, you know, what exactly, how, how exactly are you backing up that homework you've been working on for three weeks there as you take your computer with you on the bus every day? How's that going for you? Those little details, I think, um, I'd rather people learn those lessons without having to learn them in the hard ways. Right. I was going to say, you, you had a lesson to learn. You learned that lesson the hard way, and it most certainly helps you to help them not have to have that same experience. Yeah, and also just pushing back against the fatalism that I think is starting to set in. I'm sure you all feel it too with cybersecurity of just like with things like Log4j or like the Twitch, you know, it's so very easy to do everything right and still get your data completely owned. And so trying to think about things just like compartmentalization, ways to limit that and thinking, you know, do I really want to sign up for another service and give them my information? And, you know, these are details that I think we're still learning as a species, but, you know, trying to get students on board and frankly, faculty on board with these ideas that, you know, maybe I don't need to sign up for a flipper account or whatever the heck the next thing is, right? You know, oh, kerflapple, they look, they can put me, they make me a unicorn. Great. Let me get my phone number. And it's just like, eh, it may not be the right call there, or at least use a burner number, right? I like yeah. the new hide my email option there in iOS. Yeah. Yeah. There are a lot of people who are making cool progress in the space. And I know we're a LastPass campus, but like one password and fast mail doing things, making burner emails very easy. And there are a lot of really nice sort of approaches out there. And frankly, you know, compartmentalization and all things. 
I'm optimistic about some of the new OS approaches um, like cubes and things like that that are bringing weird levels of compartmentalization to the world, but not quite user ready yet. Wow. Well, I always enjoy having a conversation with you, Will. You always bring something interesting to me in our conversations. So I greatly appreciate your time this morning and interest and engagement. Of course, I'm very happy to talk with you always. Thank you so much. Well, ITS, have a great rest of your day. Feel free to check out the cybersecurity.ucsd.edu site and see the updated article that's coming out and our events page for things that are happening. And we'll catch you out there. Thanks so much. I sure hope you're enjoying this podcast. Remember to let your fellow IT services staff members know that this podcast exists. Get everyone to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you can get your podcasts. This podcast is a collaborative effort, and we want to hear from you. If you have any ideas for podcasts or topics, send them to me at its-podcast at ucsd.edu. That's it for today. Keep an ear out for the next episode of The Current Daily.